Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. All right, this morning we are continuing our series in presence, and uh, John Fouché is going to come speak to us. So give it up for John Fouché. Here we go. No, I, I need I need more fans. That's helpful. Uh, good morning. Uh, you know, uh, it's interesting when he brings up birthday and business meeting and the church that the church used to be called Visio Day Church and is now Oak City Church. And it's interesting as a newbie. So, you know, I was employed here. I first was came here about six, seven years ago to speak once or twice, and then. Um, Two years ago, I was employed here. As a newbie, my mind, when I think of Oak City Church, goes less to Raleigh being called the City of Oaks and more towards the transformation of an oak tree. Now, those of you who've been around a while, you're like, what? We just, we, you know. But I'd like to uh, um, talk about that, uh, the, how a oak becomes an oak. There are some acorns, yes, this was there on purpose in your seats if you're in the room. Uh, I want to let you pull it out and study it with me real quick. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about what's going on here with this seed. This acorn, uh, if you look at it, it is actually covered, the seed is covered with a shell, an outer shell, right? And what actually happens is uh, as this lands, falls from the tree and lands into the hard dirt, that shell helps protect the seed so that it could continue on, okay? And I think that's a lot of the ways that's very similar to the way we begin our life. Uh, we uh, often are land into a fallen world, and we need a protective shell to handle uh, the difficulty, survival techniques, if you will. Uh, for example, if you're the youngest child in a family, most likely when you landed into the ground, uh, it changed a little bit uh, reality for your family and your siblings. So, uh, for example, you may have been really cute, and suddenly the one that was the youngest no longer is the youngest and is no longer the cutest, and suddenly people start paying attention less to that other child. Well, what is no wonder why the youngest often grows up, tend to be a little bit more charming and all that, because that was their seed coat. That's how they learned to survive. And these other kids learn uh, different ways. You know, an older child may decide to suddenly be mommy's helper, go get a di- diaper and help out with that, and becomes a little bit more responsible. for. It. So the o- older child just develops this uh, seed coat, this identity of being a responsible helper for his or her mom. Uh, One of the things I think that's helpful to see is as we go through our teens and 20s, this identity, which was not originally an identity, it was just a survival technique, uh, this becomes key to who we are. So, for example, if you're really good at data analysis, you might say, I am a techie. You name yourself after what you do. 
Or if you're really good at healing other people, you might say, I'm a nurse. If you're a really good leader, you might be drawn to positions where you could be called the boss. And these are name changes, and the things that we identify with are often our survival techniques. What we would say as Christians are gifts, and they are, but they become a problem the older they become because that becomes who I am. As long as I'm able to save somebody can I stay a nurse and a reputable one? As long as I'm able to be a good boss and make good decisions, uh, am, am I able to hold on to that identity and so on? Today we're going to talk about a man, Jacob, who uh, wrestled with God. And he had a seed coat uh, and he couldn't see it. He couldn't actually see what he was really relying on and what he built his identity around. Uh, but we see him. And today we're going to talk about how God showing up totally changed Jacob's life. And it really has everything to do with this larger sermon series we're talking about, which is presence. How God's presence transforms our presence. And so today I'm going to talk about uh, four things. First of all, I'm going to give you a little background on Jacob. Talk about Jacob is called the deceiver and why he's called the deceiver. Second, I want to talk about God's agenda to change you. Third, God's agenda with your circumstances, and then we'll come back to this acorn and oak tree idea of becoming an oak for God, okay? So let's talk, first of all, about Jacob. Jacob the deceiver. Jacob was the grandson of Abraham, and at, when he was born, he is uh, grasping at his twin brother's heel. His brother was Esau, his older brother, like by minutes by, or seconds uh, he is grasping at his heel. And so Esau is holding on, or Jacob is holding on to Esau's heel. Literally, that's what Jacob means, but figuratively it means he deceives. And you would think that from birth, Jacob would come to terms with, this is, you know, I was holding on to my brother's heel, and, you know, I'm, yeah, maybe I could be deceptive. But it's like he can't see it, which is so common for all of us. We can't see the things that we've done to help us survive. What Jacob wants to see when he looks in the mirror is Esau. He wants to see the favorite son, the older son. And there was this family favoritism that bred these things in these boys, that bred deception in Jacob, because Jacob could not get the level of wealth and power he wanted from his father Isaac that uh, that Esau could. And so he wanted that. And also Esau was really strong. He was, had this really great complexion. He was really manly. He was really hairy, a really good hunter. In my mind, I think about Beauty and the Beast and Gaston. He, I'm sure he used antlers in all of his decorating. Okay, so like that's what you picture. And so you have the younger brother of this manly guy that really wants uh, to be like that and to get all that it has. So Jacob does several things to deceive. First of all is he steals Esau's wealth. Esau was going to get a, twice as much as a double inheritance as the other kids uh, from his father as was custom at the time. But Esau one day comes in from the field exhausted and is afraid he's going to die. Jacob's uh, cooking some stew and what actually, yeah, Jacob's cooking some stew. I need to remember the characters here. And then Esau said, give me some of that. Uh, in fact, he says, red stuff, red stuff, give me red stuff. Actually, in the Hebrew, he's like this dumb jock kind of 
Uh, it really is. You know, he has these great lang- language things. And, uh, and Jacob said, I will give you my stew if you sell me your birthright, your double portion, if I could get that second portion instead of you. And Esau, fearing of his life, said, okay. A little bit later, uh, Jacob tries to steal Esau's power with help from his mom, Rebekah. Jacob tricks who his now old and blind father, Isaac. Uh, he dresses up like Esau. He puts uh, animal skins to make him feel more hairy. He couldn't quite fake him out with his voice, but he faked him out in every other way. And Isaac gave uh, Jacob the blessing. Uh, that a firstborn would normally get. And he tells him this oracle. And then Esau comes up and realizes, oh my gosh, you know, what's going on here? And he asks for a blessing from his daughter, uh, his dad, Isaac. And Isaac said he will serve Jacob, that the older will serve the younger. And so uh, Esau freaks out and he says, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. Well, there's a lot of conflict that's created this, and so Rebecca sends Jacob off to her uncle, which is in present-day uh, Saudi Arabia, and he goes and serves his uncle Laban. There he meets his future wife, Rachel. What's really interesting in the language here is he never says what his name is. He calls her his kin, Rebecca's son. He's describing all these things, but he never says my name is Jacob. And it's probably because, like, that's a terrible pickup line to say, I am a deceiver, right? So you probably are not going to be attracted to that. So he, even the way he's gaining her affections has hints of that. Jacob tries to steal some flocks from Laban uh, and uh, his best flocks, and he does, but then he learns Laban is the ultimate trickster, even a better deceiver. Basically, Laban said, you could work with me for seven years for Rachel to to, and I'll give you her hand in marriage. He does. He works for seven years. He wakes up uh, after his wedding the next morning, and there's Rachel's sister sitting there. Like, this is really, this is like, you remember Jerry Springer? These people should have been on Jerry Springer, okay? Uh, and, so the, and so what happens is he ends up agreeing to work another seven years to get to marry Rachel. So after this, and Jacob had been seriously tricked, and he had gone back and forth, he does seem to have some indications that he's starting to change. He's praying, he's willing to follow God, but the old shell of him deceiving is not quite broken up yet. And today I want to talk about this time when God breaks this deceiver wide open and how Jacob owns up and finally sees himself for the way he survives in life and sees the sin in it. And uh, and the interesting thing about this passage is right in the middle of Jacob owning up, something surprising happens. So open up to Genesis chapter 32. If you have your Bibles or your apps, open them up and please stand in honor of God and His Word. I'm going to read verses 22 through 32. And then at the end, I'm going to say, this is the Word of the Lord. If you would please respond, thanks be to God. Genesis 32, through 33. The same night he arose, as Jacob, and took his two wives and two female servants and his eleven children, and he crossed the ford 
of the Jabbok, which is him coming home. He's almost to present-day Israel. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had. And Jacob was alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. This is the guy he's wrestling with. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And Jacob owns up. Look at this. And he said, Jacob. Verse 28. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Penuel, uh, saying, for I've seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose up upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of his hip, Jacob's hip, on the sinew of his thigh. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. God has an agenda to change you. Just like God had an agenda to change Jacob. Jacob's on his way back home. He's worried about seeing his brother. He hadn't seen him in decades. And then suddenly he's remembering, oh gosh, you know, Esau is going to kill me. That's the last things he said to me. And so he sends his flocks and family ahead and is alone, and he wrestles with this man all night long. Now, what's interesting about this man is this is no mere man. And the thing that really, um, really caught his attention was when this man tapped, that's what the word is for touched, it's actually a light, gentle tap on his hip, we think his hip, and uh, and dislocated him. So here's somebody that is so strong that is they're hold, but they're holding the strength back that with a mere tap he dislocates uh, who he is. And then Jacob still won't hold on to. Um, it's interesting though when I say uh, it's hip. It actually it's just funny. There are two other places we translate this word not hip but genitals. Okay, so this is a little crude. But it may have been that God racked Jacob, okay? <laughs> All right? This is like too good to not bring up from the research, okay? And, I mean, I think every culture knows that's off limits with wrestling, right? Uh, but then again, it goes with it that God uh, does touch us in places that we think are off limits. Now, regardless of what the where it actually means, Jacob realizes he's wrestling with God, and that gentle tap was the first clue that he is wrestling with more than just a mere man. What's admirable for Jacob as a fighter is he keeps holding on. I mean, it's like that little kid that just won't, you know, quit. And, uh, and, And he won't let go, and suddenly he realizes if this is the divine man, then maybe this is the man I've been wrestling with 
all of my life. When I was a teenager, I, uh, uh, we had about 10 years of having a very difficult time. My dad became an alcoholic. And when, about the time when my dad became an alcoholic, I began to run. And I literally was a long-distance runner. Still like to run quite a bit. Figuratively, I also ran. I learned to run out and be with my friends, run out of the house, ultimately run away from home, not necessarily in a rebellion, but unconsciously running away from home to try to get far from a, a conflicted family and a dad that was just having a really hard time. But I figuratively just wouldn't stay in the place of pain. I wanted to get out of there. And it became a sea coat for me. Years later, when I was 33, my wife and I started a church, and we started it with some friends that we found out as we started there, uh, this church with the friends, that their marriage was really unhealthy, and it really was affecting some things quite a bit. Uh, the town also had a lot to be desired. For example, this town, Kingsport, Tennessee, has Eastman Chemical Com Co Company there, and they have 14,000 employees, and the whole place stinks. So, like, I literally would pull in the driveway and go, home stink home. <laughs> and it was a really tough time for our family. And after a while, when a couple years we were there, I started thinking, we need to get out of here. I was actually two, thinking two things. One, he doesn't need to be the pastor. So either I need to be the lead pastor, I need to get out of here. But because my survival technique was more to run, I just, we started looking at other places to move and uh, really came way down the tracks towards that end, um, only to just, the longer I went, I was like, something's off in me. I couldn't see it. I couldn't see I was trying to run. And, uh, and I, but I had all these inclinations, and I, we had the wisdom enough to say, let's stop and ask some counselors and coaches to speak into us. And so we pursued that. Because ultimately, we're looking for deliverance. But we started realizing in time, this is a wrestling with God. There's something deeper going on with this. Uh, and it became uh, really, really hard uh, for us to stay in it. But that was the call. Jacob here uh, owns up. He finally sees it. He says, I'm the deceiver when he's wrestling with them. And he confesses his son, sin. And the surprising thing is right when that happens, the person he's wrestling with says, you're going to be named Israel, for you have striven with God. So he gives him a new identity. He gives him a name change. In this very moment when he owns up, there is something new that is being bestowed upon him. And we don't actually know if this word means... Uh, one who strives with God or God strives. Both names kind of work because God is wrestling Jacob's sin to the mat. So that works. And God strives is true because Jacob is ultimately put together and redeemed by God's grace and he can walk with God. Maybe it means both. But what's noteworthy is as soon as he owns up, God steps in and renames him Israel. He gives him a new identity. Um, when we went to that, those counselors and those coaches, uh, there was one man named Bruce Edstrom, and he was freaky good with Lindsay and I. It was like, gosh, how, he's like, he knows us better than we know us. And he finally looked at me, 
And he said to me, John, you have an old name. And your old name is Fun, Tired, Escapist. He said, I, I want to give you a new name. And he did. Brokenhearted coach with sober joy. And we walked out of like, what in the world is going on? It took me a couple days to come to terms that he was seeing our, my seed coat, my survival techniques. And I, I finally realized, hey, um, I think I've been running from pain my whole life. I remember sitting with a bench out front of a restaurant uh, with Lindsay and literally saying that. Um, and then I remember saying, what if I didn't this time? And then suddenly it hit me that instead of leaving this church or becoming the lead pastor, there was another way. The, the third way was I could submit. I could submit to God. I could stay in the pain. I could submit to this lead pastor that I don't think should be the lead pastor. And so we, we came back and we stayed in that place. And we started to really... Uh, changed the way we did things. I went to the elders of the church and said, could you please make him the lead pastor? We were co-pastors at the time. Um, and uh, let me become the associate pastor. I did. That's what happened. Um, they give him a pay raise and me a pay deduction, and that's what we did. It was I accepted ultimately uh, and was open to this and being changed. Uh, perhaps the part that really strikes us with this passage is this, with us, this mere man that he's wrestling with. Um, it doesn't, when he asks, what's your name? He doesn't respond. When Jacob asks him, what's your name? He doesn't respond. And yet he says he's striven with God. And later on, he names the place after uh, being with God. And so this appears to be God. And in particular, uh, many scholars believe this is a Christophany, a pre-incarnation appearance of Christ in the form of man. I think there's a lot of merit to that. I think Jacob is wrestling with Jesus. If you're wrestling with your family survival techniques, your faulty survival techniques, or your family of origin, uh, you need to realize who you're really wrestling with is who's going to be Lord and Savior of your life. You, with the things that you do to survive in life and to thrive, or God? That's the ultimate question is who? Who's in charge? Who decides who you are and who you're going to become? Uh, the person that wrestles with Jesus walks away broken, but they also walk away blessed. Only that kind of person was ultimately going to become like Christ. So I want to encourage you to see that the only thing that's going to really change you permanently is God. God's presence changes your presence. God's son changes your status as a child of God, as we just say. Now, God has an agenda to change you. More than his agenda is to change your circumstances. Let's talk about God's agenda with your circumstances. Many of us are dealing with bad circumstances, and I think uh, they certainly can get uh, bad. But it's tough for any of us to have circumstances as bad as your brother wants to kill you, right? That's bad. And Esau is, has vowed revenge, 
And Jacob does several things to ease the blow. Let me read to you the next four verses of the following chapter, Genesis 33. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. And I'm sure he said, oh, crap. It's about to go down. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with their children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. I don't know what's for, for sure going on other than he's trying to save their lives or at least have them be killed first. <laughs> Who knows? He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. God changes both of these boys before he changes their circumstance. God uses the circumstance to change them. That God's agenda is for you and I to grow. God does care about the circumstances, and sooner or later, he will make things right. But, most of the time, God delays that until his purposes of transformation have come about. Some of you have been haunted from baggage from your parents. Uh, all of us are struggling with false identities, putting our pride in what really saves us, what we're good at, what we feel, think, or do. But Ultimately, those survival techniques have to be broken and have to die. You can get honest about your seed coat, but you really need somebody outside of yourself to break it. Jacob allowed this brokenness to be carried with him the rest of his life. He walked with a limp the rest of his life. Uh, but... What's surprising is that God is changing both men first before he changes the circumstances. So in 2005, when we came home and I asked the elders to make this other guy lead pastor, we decided to not move, to just stay there. We ended uh, several of those conversations. We are all there. For about a month, I would do big things and small things to just try to live out what I thought God was calling me to do at that time. Instead of respond with running or charm or anything else, I would submit. I'd submit to God. I would submit to this other lead pastor as best as I could. I would come home, and I wouldn't complain about the stink. And about a month later, I kid you not, I remember playing in the backyard with our two older kids, and the sky was blue, the fall colors were great, and the stink was still in the air. And I remember saying to myself, I've never been happy, my, happier my entire life. And then it hit me. None of my circumstances had changed. And it validated what God was doing in the midst of all this. That I found, of course, joy in the midst of staying in the place of pain. And suddenly my eyes were opened up beyond my survival techniques to start seeing that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. Uh, God will deliver you from your bad circumstances sooner or later, but he's probably keeping them around a lot longer than you want them to be. 
and it's probably for the purpose of your transformation. Either way, there's no downside with growing in character. It may be hard, but there's no downside. In other words, you, could, you can actually get to the place where more bad circumstances are coming your way and you are less shaken because your character has grown. And so I want to talk a little bit about uh, how do we grow? How do we grow and what is God's ultimate goal for us? Coming back to the acorn, I want to talk about becoming an oak for God. Uh, God wants to transform you into an oak for his glory. Uh, do you know what I find most interesting about this acorn? is its heaviness is its problem. Literally, when it falls to the ground, it's stranded. You ever gone to uh, uh, like a bottom of an oak tree and see all these acorns sitting at the bottom? And you're like, these, these guys have no chance of making it. I mean, like it's like high school. Everybody's like, you know, living out their survival techniques and everybody's presenting the stuff. It's all great. But they, but they really, they really got to be somewhere else to plant and be grown. And the way God uh, this is fascinating. The way God designed it is he brings about squirrels and other little animals to pick up these guys. As they're walking, they, the sea coat breaks in its mouth, and then they go bury it for later to eat. And the uneaten acorns, if they're in a place of good soil, Great sunlight and plenty of rain, they become the soak for God. They are totally dependent upon this other creature to carry them where they need to be, to break them and to allow them to emerge. And I think it's fascinating. Uh, what's, what's really fascinating about that too is that this seed coat, as it's broken and is planted, it starts to rot. And guess what? That seed coat becomes really good fertilizer for that seed. So in other words... Jacob's deception became his fertilizer for growth. You know, me running from pain became the beginning and the fertilizer that led to personal transformation for me. In other words, the old self dies, and from that death, a new self emerges. It's fascinating. God is working to do this in your life and my life, I believe. He wants you to become more like Christ, to be bold, have character, something people could see for a long way away, uh, has the superior inner strength, the protective of others, you know, all that an oak tree would bring. Ultimately, spread out fruit so that you could start a forest. That's what God's desire is for you and me. But first, we've got to wrestle with how am I really trying to be my own Lord and Savior? What are the survival techniques? What's the protective shell? What's the coat that I keep depending on that has to break and die for God to create something new? Ephesians 4, through 24, Paul says this, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This word righteousness is picked up later on in Isaiah uh, when he says that God's people will be called oaks of righteousness for the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. So this is, this is our desire, that God would change us and grow us into uh, 
Um, people with solid character. People that when you look at it, you just want to seek its shelter. You want to go swing up from its branches. You want to ask, how did this tree get here? And learn about its transformation. Uh, there are two questions for you to apply this. There's one of two questions. The first one you need to answer first. And if you've answered the first one, second. I will say this. I have a side hustle. And y'all, some of you know that. It's a coaching business. That 90% of our clients, we had 144 out of six coaches last year, um, 90% of them come asking clarity on their calling, but most of them are really asking identity questions. And 90% of these people are in their 30s and 40s. So these are when the questions really come up. Because the thing that you used to find satisfying from your seat coat, from your gifts, from your survival techniques, and the things you used to get a charge about being really good at that when you're 20, uh, it's not quite as charging. You're used to it. And so it just seems empty. It seems uh, like a shell. Um, one of the things that I want to encourage you to do with the first question is ask this. What's your old and new name? Now, you're given an old and new name going from one that may be far away from Jesus to a Christian. Being in Christ is a new name, and that is provided for all of God's people. However, you could see many examples in Scripture about specific names and naming of characters that transformation like Jacob or even what is a customized pathway for growth is really uh, played out all over the place. Luke 3, 8 through 14 in particular, if you want to go back and later on see how God, uh, Jesus treats these people that have different sin issues and how he calls them to a unique way of repentance. And so it's helpful for you to say, what is my old and new name? What's my unique old name and new name. And um, you don't want to just say, I'm a sinner. It's helpful, more helpful to say, I'm a deceiver. The reason why is every time you start to deceive or you have self-deception, you're able to catch it sooner. And so um, I want you to start by naming your old name. Go afterwards later today or this week and spend some time in a journal and say, what's that side of me that I don't want to see? What's that side of me that the people closest to me would be quick to admit, but I want to hide when they bring it up? And it could be perfectionist or people pleaser or control freak or coward. Name it and own up. And then ask the Lord, if you were going to give me a new name, what would it be? And listen and wait. Now, this might be months. Ask God, who have you made me be? What, have you, what are you breaking here, and what are you remaking here? It could be in time that he says integrity is your new name, or courageous, or reconciler, maybe patient one. What is it? And, and this is a good wrestling with God, because you're starting to ask yourselves, Father, what, what do you want to say, and who have you defined me to be? So it's very helpful uh, for you to hear a unique name. Now, some of us that are older uh, may have already kind of gone through a season of letting go of some of those survival techniques, and uh, we can answer the second question. Are you living more out of your old identity or new identity? Because you can still keep going back to your old identity, your old ways, your old sinful habits, 
and, and keep on trying to survive that way. But as you learn this and you get more clarity through your story, you need to ask, what am I living more out of? And then what difference would it make, of course, if you were really living out of your new identity? Well, I'm pretty sure regardless of your circumstances, you'd be more grateful. I'm pretty sure you'd be more loving. You, I'm pretty sure you'd be more hopeful because you know one day God's going to make all things new. I'm pretty sure that your survival techniques you would see and say, oh, there I go again, and say, that means I'm far away from the light. I'm pretty sure that you would be more wise, patient, kind, humble, loving. You would leave a godly legacy. I'm pretty sure that would happen. So again, the, first, the one or two questions I want to give you to answer. This is your homework. One is, what is your old or new name? And two is, are you living more out of your old or new identity? You know, being a Christian is like becoming an oak tree. That's what God desires. He desires for Christ-like disciples to grow up and to be strong in character, to be protective, to be loving, to, to not be swayed by the winds of circumstance. He, that's what God wants. And he wants these strong disciples to, be, to multiply a forest for his glory, ultimately so that people can look at the glory of an oak and glorify the one that created the oak. If you have time, if you have faith that Christ died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave, I want to invite you to celebrate with us the fact that you have a new identity in Christ. And though maybe you have not named it yet, maybe you have, but you get to live out of that new identity. So if you are, afterwards, we're going to serve you communion. And this is, we're going to remember that somebody who actually was broken for you. And by his breaking, you emerge. A new self in you emerges. And we can also see that it is his life that he's calling us to. So let us pray, and then let's take communion. Heavenly Father, we come confessing our sin. We come uh, wanting to own up. I mean, I guess not all of us are, and I just pray for, first of all, those people that are not wanting to own up. It's so understandable. It's human not to, to look in the mirror, to see the things that we're really trusting in, instead of you. And Father, we just pray that you would bring them to the place to where they would be gently broken and um, planted by, by you, and that you would speak words of blessing into them, that they are loved, that they're a child of God, that they're cared for at that very moment that they are broken, that they would receive grace. Heavenly Father, those of us that have already received grace, help us walk in our new identity as ones that are redeemed that are remade by Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.